Yeah, or I went to see a 16-year-old fighting with a wax figure of Michael Bolton that they found to sing his song. Hello and welcome to the Euro What, episode 160 for the week of May 30th, 2022. I'm Mike McComb and I'm joined today by Ben Smith. Hey Ben. Hey Mike. We are a pair of Americans trying to make sense of the Eurovision Song Contest. And this week, we'll be catching up on news and sharing an episode of our Patreon bonus podcast, Just Asking Questions. How's it going, Ben? Uh, It's good, Mike. How are you? Doing all right. Still kind of unwinding from all of the Eurovision content from May. It was a very busy month. Yes. (laughs) Not just with that, but then also having the American Song Contest at the same time. And like we had several other side projects going on all at once. Oh my gosh, so many things that were happening. We are here now. We are about to go into our off season, which is going to be a nice little break for us like we're not yes. we're not going away completely but we are switching to an every other week format for the rest of 2022 and what better way to celebrate the end of the eurovision academic year as it were than by wheeling the tv into class and popping in a video <laughs> or as is usually the case dealing with fallout from scoreboard <laughs> shenanigans it wouldn't be the end of may without a bunch of paperwork and a bunch of nations going excuse me As you may recall from the grand final, there were a few countries that Martin Osterdahl was giving the results for, and you had mentioned that during the scoring that there was a press release issued. I was absentmindedly checking my email on my phone during the numbers portion of the evening and was not expecting to have an EBU press release in my inbox during the jury vote, and then took a look and was like, oh boy. Yeah, so what is happening is... There are six countries that were all in the second semifinal, Romania, San Marino, Montenegro, Poland, Azerbaijan, and Georgia, that have been accused of colluding to vote for one another and just do a whole bunch of point swapping. I saw some people on Twitter doing the math, and had this scheme worked, the outcome would not have changed. A few places may have shifted for a couple of the countries, but it would not have changed which 10 countries qualified from the second semifinal. When we had last spoken about this, I had mentioned that the way they were phrasing it, it sounded like numbers were lining up in a way that they generally shouldn't line up when you have X number of people all issuing their specific ordered votes. Four of the six juries all placed five of the other countries in their top five taking into account they couldn't vote for themselves. One jury voted for the same five countries in their top six, and the last of the six juries placed four of the others in the top four and their fifth in top seven. Four of the six received at least one set of 12 points, which is the maximum that can be awarded. The sort of numbers that make the independent voting partner sit up and go, excuse me, we have a collusion. All of the countries have issued responses from it. San Marino is accusing the EBU of being authoritarian. Montenegro and Poland are both denying the allegations. Azerbaijan sent a letter of protest. Georgia also denied any involvement, saying that they had no interest in messing with the results. And Romania is taking the strongest stance so far about this, threatening to withdraw from future Eurovision competitions, and even had a TV referendum special this past Monday to put it up for a public vote on whether or not 
Romania should continue to participate in Eurovision. This escalated very quickly, I would yes. say. <laughs> yeah. Real, yeah, Romania is real hot about it. The votes have been thrown out as they were during the competition. So scores did not count during the second semifinal. They did not get to vote in the grand final. So the standings should not change at this point. But yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. I, I think we're starting to get a sense of how Martin Osterdahl is going to be running things during his tenure. The vibe that I'm getting, at least, is that Martin Osterdahl is going to be a much more active head of overseeing things. Sometimes when you have a new board coming in and they're active, that can be a shift for everybody. And I feel like that's maybe why we're seeing a lot of people taken by surprise. Considering how some of the scoring shenanigans were handled during the previous administration, I could see this as maybe being a test balloon to see how far things can be pushed and they are instantly meeting resistance. So that's going to be fun for relationship building. So. <laughs> it, it would not surprise me if there's a much larger discussion that happens at the next meeting of the reference group amongst all of the other agenda items with the next year's contest. One of the interesting stories that I saw was that Ukraine is planning on having their jury selected by the public, which I kind of like that idea. I'm very curious to see how that plays out and and if it ends up coming to fruition. That That's the other thing. Like, that, yes. we're, we're in that part of the year where everybody's just like, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And then like budgets come out and be like, oh, we're not doing any of that. Yes. <laughs> we, we, are, we are in the week after winning Mystery Hunt where it's like, we're going to do all of these things. And then when it's actually time to write Mystery Hunt, uh, it's like, oh, wait, we have to do what? We're already six months behind schedule. How did that happen? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It costs how much to do this? Never mind. Watch this space. I'm guessing this is going to be one of the main topics for the summer. Okay, news over. So for this week's episode, we wanted to show off what we have been doing over on our Patreon. We had the American Song Contest this spring. It was a show that we watched, and we covered it <laughs> on a weekly basis over on our Patreon podcast, Just Asking Questions, A-S-C-I-N-G. Yeah, Ben, ben what, what were your thoughts on that experience? I, I, just lo- I just love that we're describing what we've been doing over on the Patreon podcast. What we've been doing over on the Patreon podcast is like slowly losing our minds. If you remember our coverage for Norway the last couple of years, it's a lot like that with an American twist. There are going to be some echoes there. It's going to feel familiar. Yeah, anybody who is a supporter on Patreon gets access to that podcast. And although the American Song Contest is over, possibly for now, possibly forever, there may be a Canadian version. Who knows? We are still going to be doing monthly episodes on topics that are a little bit more loosely related to Eurovision than our typical off-season topics. Like, it, it is very tangential, but... It's already shaping up to be a lot of fun. We've we've got our next few monthly episodes planned, and I'm excited about them. So. Yes, same, <laughs> same. But, but yeah, just things that are more on the adjacent side of Eurovision adjacent. Yes, the episode that we're going to share with you today is one that we did toward the end of the season. It was kind of our bridge episode during Eurovision week because nobody was paying attention to the ASC during Eurovision week. It was a conversation that we had with Andy Dennert from Reality Blurred talking about the American Song Contest as a whole, what's working, what isn't quite working, and what improvements could possibly be made if the show does happen to get renewed for a second season, series, run-through, whatever they would end up calling it. Special summer event? Yes. 
It was a really good discussion and we hope you enjoy it. And if you do enjoy it and would like to hear more of our content or dip into the back catalog of our ASC coverage, head on over to our Patreon. It's at patreon.com slash eurowhat. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Just Asking Questions. I'm Ben Smith, and I'm joined today by Mike McComb. Hey, Mike. Hello. And our special guest, Andy Dienert. Hey, Andy. Hello. We are a group of Americans trying to make sense of the American Song Contest, and this week we'll be looking back on season one. Is it you? Is it me? I don't know. Who could it be? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, welcome to the show, Andy. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. And glad to talk about this I don't know. I won't insert any adjectives yet to spoil my response. Yeah, this has been an interesting experiment with the American Song Contest. I think interesting is a neutral enough yes, term, interest- right? inter- yeah. Yes, yes. For sure. Inter- interesting in many ways, both in terms of things that have worked on some levels and then things that are just pretty disastrous on others. What has been your experience with the American Song Contest? Well, I've been watching it live every single week with my husband. So I think there's something to say for that, that it's actually become a sort of event in our house. It's not just something that sits on the DVR for a week. So I should just um, disclaim right now, I have a terrible taste in music and B, I'm not very immersed in the Eurovision world other than hearing some songs and enjoying them and replaying them a bunch. But I've I found a lot of music that I've enjoyed and then other songs that I can't wait to fast forward through if we're behind for a commercial or something. But it's been generally enjoyable two hours every Monday, which I wasn't sure what to expect going into it. Are, are there particular entries that have caught your ear that you're specifically rooting for? Okay, rooting for is a really, uh, (laughs) don't make me go uh, all that way. Um, You know, I can't stop playing that song, Mr. Independent, although I now have been listening to the lyrics and I find it pretty insipid, but it's got a great production on the chorus, I guess. So I think it's pretty fun. Loco is one of my other ones that I'm playing on repeat a lot. Train and Fly. Apparently, I like all the songs with one word, except for Mr. Independent. Um, (laughs) So those, those four have gotten the most rotation for me. But there's been others that I've enjoyed. Like, I was glad to listen to to New Boot Goofin for a second time during the semifinals. I feel like I have not engaged with the music anywhere outside of the two hours I watch it every Monday. We had Glenn Weldon on the main show of recently, and he was talking about how it's just a really boring show. And that kind of caught me off guard because like, I don't feel bored. But I think part of that is because I'm engaged in the Twitter aspect of it. And it's a lot of the Euro fandom. It feels like they are most of the audience for this show, which is not great for American ratings. But I'm enjoying this experience, even though I have zero memory of what is happening (laughs) on the show. I don't know quite what to make of that. This is too hours. And if I were just watching it and not having the second screen experience or doing this podcast, I have a feeling my engagement would be quite different. And I may have dropped the show at this point. I'm I'm just Mm -hmm. not sure. Yeah, the second screen experience is, is definitely what's keeping me going. Week one, we were real optimistic. And now uh, today realized, oh, I've just gone into like full untitled goose game mode with this where <laughs> I have stopped enjoying this. And now I'm just causing problems and honking at things for the sake of honking at them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's funny because you know with all due respect to glenn who i respect a lot i don't think it's boring a show i like that's the one thing i'll say that about a lot of shows but kelly clarkson and snoop are really good hosts and even the bits are funny and don't feel like the utter time wasters that American Idol did for years and years and always felt like time wasters. They are wasting time, don't get me wrong. But like the halftime report is stupid and silly and changes every week and has some genuinely bizarre and I think unscripted moments that can be amusing. And and just their banter, you know, is fun. I think I tweeted that I really want to vote for Snoop's Is It You, Is It Me song, because that one is stuck in my head every time after I watch. I appreciate that they both seem to be genuinely having a good time, even though they both must realize that this is a major train wreck, at least from a, like a television business perspective, that it, it's just not clicking. And I'm not sure if it... I mean, that that is one of the things that I'm struggling with. Could this have ever worked? And I'm not sure what the answer to that is. I'm thinking no. I think it could have worked. But I think NBC did a lot to make it not work. That's the thing that surprises me so much. I know the delay was at least reportedly due to Omicron COVID spreading and they wanted to do a live show. And I think that would have, you know, doing a, a live audience with CG people hasn't really worked that well for Mass Singer. And I don't think it would have worked here. So I can understand why they wanted to push it back. Obviously overlapping with Eurovision in the way that it is. I think that either cuts out part of its fan base or at least doesn't show that you're in conversation with them. And then in terms of American audiences of singing competitions, to schedule it against American Idol was just stupid. There's a limited audience who's going to watch live singing competitions. And a lot of the songs on American Song Contest to me feel like they could have been American Idol songs to some degree. And so they're not exactly pushing the American Idol audience away. So I just think those things were bad decisions. And I have to say the very first decision I thought was terrible was the name. Why would they call it this? It's such a bad name. And then I looked up and realized it was actually officially Eurovision Song Contest. But Eurovision is at least a word that is interesting, whereas American has already been used in American Idol and doesn't say anything. And so it's just a boring phrase. It doesn't seem to mean anything. It doesn't stand out. It just seems generic. So all that just to me said like, we're not going to be super creative about this. A lot of these things are just going to, we'll just see what happens, even though these decisions aren't great. It does feel like there is a lot of afterthought happening with a lot of the decision making and yes. uh, that it's much more reactive than proactive. I had completely forgotten about the CGI audience on The Masked Singer. I could not imagine them trying to implement oh, that yeah, like on this I had, show. I had completely <laughs> forgotten about that. And that just reminded me of when I tapped out of The Masked Singer was around the time that they were doing an after show where they were somehow just like green screening all of it. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was terrible. <laughs> like, I think it was the combination of that and then just sort of Sarah Palin popping up. I'm just like, OK, I'm done. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's the thing. Like, this seems to want to divorce itself from Eurovision because they haven't mentioned any sort of connection to Eurovision in a couple of weeks. And even the few times that they have mentioned it, it, it feels like it's more of a coincidence. Like, they brought up Celine Dion one Eurovision. It's like, oh, is that why she's famous? Like, I mean, it's, it's just like these just random occurrences that are like just not really part of the formula, which is making it all the stranger with like Peacock having Eurovision last year and NBC not really promoting that at all. So like it, it right. yeah, it, it it's very strange. Why not put Eurovision on NBC and then promote the heck out of this during that and then run it afterwards? Like there's no time of year you have to do this show. It makes so much more sense to show Eurovision in all of its glory and go, isn't this great? 
But wouldn't it be fantastic if we could do it? Great news, we are next week as an event series. Um, America's doing this. And I guess I'm curious for both of you as as Eurovision fans, what you think of how it, well it maps over from European countries to states, because I know we have sort of state identity in America to some degree, but I don't know if we have the same kind of ownership over these songs. I live in Florida and I can't even tell you who the Florida song was. And I'm not concerned about what state anybody's coming from or voting against, you know, a state I hate or something like that. And I just feel like they're trying to sort of make it into that identity contest to some degree that it just doesn't map at all to this. It's not equivalent. I'm kind of of two minds of it, just as someone who's been a Eurovision fan for years. That has been one of the major complaints from the Eurovision fandom side of things is that there were no state selections. There was no selection process. It was just sort of, here are the 56 entries that we have chosen, where I think a lot like a lot of the Eurofans are sort of are not used to how opaque NBC's process for this is. But on the other hand, like I think of the reportedly 7,000 entries that they received from various artists for this, I think they did a good job of picking 56 representative songs that maybe don't necessarily line up state for state, but certainly provide the breadth and depth of American music, even if they maybe picked too many bland country guys. I think part of it is just coming down to the way that the lineups have been scheduled, where... If you really wanted to have some sort of rivalry going on, why isn't Michigan and Ohio in the same heat? Like, you have that rivalry built in. Why isn't it Midwest week? Why isn't it Pacific Northwest week? Right, right. I think that would help mitigate the time zone issue. I mean, I guess the fear is maybe one night would end up being more like country western night, and then another night would be... I don't know. There's just been so much country music yeah, <laughs> in, in yeah. this thing. There's just like, yeah, like there's there's not enough state identity, and the more hyper regional genres of music were really punished by the jury, which we can get into the jury aspect of oh, yeah, this. It also strikes me that almost to those early days of American Idol, when you could just tell who the producers liked by where they ordered everybody, so the forgettable stuff kind of fell in the middle, and so I th- it's clear that they're organizing each night based on a shape of show situation and balancing out genres. I think that's a smart decision from a show construction perspective. It's not a smart decision from a competition let's get people riled up perspective, but I also don't think there was any chance of ever like Michigan and Ohio caring enough about this show to move any needles. So maybe that's the the only way that they could have gone. I just wanted to see Macy Gray fighting with a 16 year old, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, or I wanted to see a 16 year old fighting with the wax figure of Michael Bolton that they found to sing his song. (laughs) I think the casting has been okay. It's just not been organized in the most useful way. Although, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of goes back to what Ben was saying, that there weren't state selections in this, and it is all just going through central casting. It just feels like there's no initial buy-in for the audience, so it, it just turns into like a so-what type scenario. It's kind of the worst-case scenario for a show like this, where you want people to talk about it. You wanted to build momentum week to week. I realized that overnight ratings, live ratings aren't, that's not how TV works anymore. Although for a live show, you could argue that they're more important, but they basically fell off a cliff and dropped in half within two weeks. And so no momentum at all, no interest in in keeping those in. And I think they've tried to adapt a little bit and we can talk about that when maybe we get to the jury too, but it just 
you know, is almost dead on arrival to some degree. I think I think that's fair. So in terms of what is working, we've got Kelly and Snoop. They're doing as good a job as they can, uh, g- yes. given the situation. Yeah. I mean, some good songs, right? Would you, yeah. I mean, like some good music, some cool staging for what they have and what they're working with. Yeah, like staging wise, I feel like they've done a great job of giving everything the opportunity to be at the same level. And I also think that in terms of establishing each artist, in terms of the many different ways that musical success can be in 2022, we have people who have big TikTok followings. We have people who are working in the industry writing K-pop songs. Right. They are doing a great job in the intro packages of showing us that, yes, even though you know Michael Bolton's name and you've never heard of this guy from Washington before, they're actually both at like relative levels of success and they're, they are coming to a somewhat equal playing field. I think just the fact that Michael Bolton has made it through, but just, uh, you know, Jewel and Macy Gray and Cisco falling away shows you that that is a pretty even playing field and that celebrity isn't doing anything for them. There's some interesting stuff happening from the start. I had said with this is like, I trust Christopher Bjorkman is trying to do, I feel like NBC is going to be the ones to kind of stick their foot in it. I feel like that's still kind of playing out, although Christopher's impulses are kind of also all over the place with Melfest. There's at least one producer whose name I've seen who comes from The Voice, and so I was expecting more voiciness out of this, and so I think I'm I'm pleasantly surprised that the NBC stamp feels lighter than I expected. It's obviously not Eurovision itself, and it is very much an American singing competition. It just feels a little more out of the box than I expected it to be. I think I did ultimately want this to succeed. I know that Ben and I had been complaining about the idea of this as soon as it was proposed, but the fact that it has actually gotten to air is like, all right, like this could work. I think there could have been different approaches that would have made this a little bit more successful or at least a little bit more interesting. I'm not sure what the actual barrier is here because it's it's not boring on the face, but I can understand why people would be bored with it. For the two hours that the program is on air, it's relatively exciting and it moves along at a surprisingly fast clip because I feel like every night when we're getting to the end of things, I'm always slightly surprised. But then it's relatively inert the rest of the week. And I'm not sure if it needs a result show like a couple days after voting closes just to to move that separately, just to keep the audience engaged. Would it have worked like a, a stunt for a week? Eurovision does this, obviously, or at least for the, the finals or semifinals. But like the sing-off on NBC, which was, you know, in December and would take place over five nights or I can't remember the exact schedule, but it was super compressed versus spread out over, you know, two or three months. So I wonder if that would have helped it build some momentum. And also when at a time of year when there's nothing else on might have been good. It was just mind-boggling me that this wasn't a summer show when everything else is sort of out of production. And again, use Eurovision as like a launching pad and then have a week of the heats, like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, then have whatever convoluted semifinal and final structure the second week and just sort of have actual momentum from show to show. Because like right now, the second that the program is done on Monday, it's just sort of done. Yeah. And I think NBC probably viewed this too much as just a direct replacement for The Voice. Like, oh, we'll just slot it in the same time slot and The Voice's fans will show up and will be great. That was not a a great decision. I think another one of the places where it's struggling is for as much as, as the voting is in the hands of the viewers to some extent, there's also a lot that is kind of hidden from us. Like, is the jury going based on the performances we are seeing or are they watching a dress rehearsal when they're when they are sort of figuring that out? Which, like, given how quickly we are getting results on that in the show, which is 
something that started with like week two, week three, makes me think that they have those numbers already. It's from the dress rehearsals. It says it in the super fine print at the very end. In that fine print, it says things about, you know, like we're there's an independent third party tabulating the votes. And that's great. And I will trust that because I don't have any other choice, I guess. But that doesn't change our perception of it. You need to tell us what percentage things count for and how do you take, you know, potentially millions or maybe tens of thousands or maybe hundreds of viewer votes on TikTok and whatever and add those together and then somehow make that match with 50 people. And it's the same problem that Dancing with the Stars had where it's like, we're combining your votes with the judges scores. Like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Like they voted on a zero to 10, actually more like a six to 10 because they don't have any gradients on that show. So it's like, just tell the audience how we're getting there. Like, you don't have to do math for us, but just, you know, give us a sense that this actually does matter. Because otherwise, it just feels like the jury and their um, crappy taste. uh, Not that I have strong feelings about that, um, (laughs) but that they are just, uh, you know, in control and what we do doesn't matter. The voting itself is kind of confusing, too, because I rolled up at the end of show one expecting, oh, I have 10 points to a lot. I should very carefully meter these out between three or four things. And then went to the website. It's like, no, you can give up to 10 points to every act. So if I wanted to go full Midwestern mom and just be like, everybody did a great (laughs) job. 10 points for everybody. I can do that. I think Eurofans are used to these selection shows on public broadcasters where like the day after the show's done, here is the full tabulation of who got X number of votes. Right. And you have like, at least I've been voting on TikTok because I'm cool like that yeah uh, <laughs> cooler than us uh, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. no it's just because i'm addicted to tiktok and i just have the app on all the time i have to choose the state that i live in when i vote but i don't think they're not letting me vote for florida as would happen in eurovision but i don't know why they're doing that and it's like i guess uh, they've started showing some local results on screen and is it just for that reason or is there some other calculation in terms of population or what well they had mentioned in the first episode that you can't vote for your own state or, or voting for your own state would not count which is consistent with eurovision but i miss that obviously yeah but i mean it's, it's also something where it's like well it doesn't really matter because we don't see how these numbers shake out anyway it's not like we're going state to state and asking them who do you give your 12 points to yeah and i think was it two weeks ago that they trotted out a jury member to sort of prove to us that there are humans and <laughs> you know not just monsters who are voting for the worst country song that they can find every night. But I don't know if that helped. Although I I guess I I appreciate that it feels like they are at least responding somewhat week to week to sort of tweak the show a little bit. I don't think it's like going to stop its... It's not in a death spiral, but it's not going to like help it earn millions of viewers. But at least they're making little changes like that. And I can appreciate that even if I still don't understand the jury or appreciate their taste. I think those adjustments are also like just... Another indication that NBC is really kind of micromanaging this and not letting Creaster actually produce a good show because my interpretation of seeing all of these like little tweaks and like, oh, we're just going to adjust the rules this way. And like that, that's not going to be that unfair to people. Like it reminds me of that show, The Hero, uh, the, the rock uh, oh, right. reality yeah. show where it seemed like the, the game was changing every single week. And it's just like, OK, I guess Patty wins. Sure. <laughs> and Maybe there's just going to be a strong write-in vote in the final, and even if New Boot Goofin's not there, it's still somehow going to finish in second or third place? I don't know. If this were to somehow get a second season, what do you think would need to happen to make it successful or at least make it more consistent from week to week? 
Yeah, I, I think just rethinking this as not a weekly voice substitute, but an event series that builds from something and or builds into something, mostly from something probably. And, and like, I don't know, that could be the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade where they focus on all those acts anyway and maybe uh, have some of them performing there. I realize they were trying to do that with the Olympics to some degree, not that people are really watching the Olympics in the same way that they used to either. And that's the other problem is we have a television problem. I'm not sure that putting Eurovision on Peacock is helpful. My guess is the strategy there is like, oh, Eurovision fans will pay for Peacock in order to see this. And so that's how we'll get some subscribers. But I think that actually putting it on NBC might have helped them. So maybe it becomes a summer stunt after Eurovision next year in between Bachelorette and and Big Brother and reality fans need something to watch every night or in in those couple weeks. And so give us that instead. I think the scheduling is the number one thing that they would have to tweak in order to rein all of this in and make it more functional. I I think that makes a lot of sense. Ben, do you have thoughts on how to save this show? (laughs) I mean, I I have already in previous times we've been discussing the show suggested that the way to fix this is to go back to in time and prevent it from ever happening in the first place. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) But in in lieu of that, having it be like a very focused two weeks. Eurovision is sort of a longer season if you're weird fans like us who like watching all the national finals. But the actual event itself is two weeks and that's including the rehearsal time for everybody to get into Turin and have their two rehearsal sections and meet with the press and then the actual show is just two semifinals and the grand final and like they are dealing with 40 different songs so for 56 songs if we are inviting everybody back and everybody says sure we maybe need like an additional heat I don't know if that's going to be like three semifinals and then a grand final or something but like there's got to be some way to do this the other thing that that keeps jumping out to me is part of eurovision and part of the the various national finals is that because the nations are smaller than the u.s is they can actually have televoting happen during the program and actual results happen by the end of the program Hmm. like there there is sort of an instant sense of oh we know what what two acts from melfest are on to the final and what two will, will show up again in the second chance round or with eurovision we we know okay we've seen these 17 things perform and we now know which 10 of these have moved on because everybody voted for 20 minutes that was one of the things that I loved about Rising Star for that one season that it was on. It almost felt like they had solved the time zone problem. In the qualifying rounds, the East Coast would do their voting and whoever reached whatever threshold they needed to reach would advance. And then in the West Coast airing, if they managed to reach the threshold, and even though it was like the taped performance, they would announce the following week. It's like, oh, this person ended up qualifying on the West Coast vote, so they got through as well. If they were able to implement something like that, I think would work. But I think for me, if they're going to do the central casting model instead of having states do their own selection of who's going to compete in this thing, they should just go like Battle of the Network Stars route and get everybody who's ever been on any sort of singing or performance-based competition and just try to like have a free-for-all for that. Just going through the whole 
like 20, 25 year history. Get people from the Ed McMahon star search if they need uh, like somebody from <laughs> like Tennessee or whatever. And I think that, that would be really fun because then you have a little bit of the nostalgic element, which I think they were trying to get with Jewel and Macy Gray and Michael Bolton. But then also people were just like, oh, I really like that person on that one season of Nashville Star or Rockstar or whatever. Or, or the four when that happened. Oh, wow. I forgot about that one. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because we've tried we've tried so many different singing contest formats and trying to make that fresh. Yeah, and I think it would just be kind of fun and not necessarily lower stakes, but at least stakes would be kind of established. Because that's the other thing about this show. Aside from more rotation on iHeartRadio, I, I don't know what the purpose of this is and why people are signing away the rights to these songs to NBC. Mm-hmm. So that is that is another place that would be improved is like the prize can't just be rotation like these songs need to actually be happening on radio locally to be building up interest that's why a state selection model would not work is there is no momentum for this right it's yeah. like your your local nbc affiliate doesn't have time to produce this on top of all of of their news programming and mm-hmm. if nobody's going to watch it they definitely don't want to do it and maybe to extend the model that you're describing, Mike, have there be a TikTok contest and an Instagram singers contest, yep. you know, to like build into. And, and so it's like you find you find people where they are. And and, and I don't know if that would work. It, it might just be like putting Frankie Grand on the or whatever his last name. Grand yeah. Grande. Grande. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, my big brother. Sorry, I just, my brain just uh-huh. shorted out trying to I, t- I type it. I don't say it because yeah. uh, I know if you say it out loud three times. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, he's, um, he's there. Exactly. Yeah. And just a quick uh, sidebar. When we were when Ben, you were mentioning like the number of acts, I will give NBC credit for and say that I hope they don't change if the show comes back, which I doubt it will. But I like the fact that they are including territories. Some of the my favorite songs have come from those places. And also, I think the packages and the intros and bios have made kind of an interesting case for how music culture is a little bit different in those places. And there maybe is a bit, a bit more sense of that identity that you don't have in every single state. So that's just been interesting to me. And in part because we also don't really see much from American territories in general in pop culture, never mind elsewhere. So I like that aspect a lot. They have nailed it on that. They've also nailed it on recognizing D.C. as a state. Yes, exactly. They've done better than the Senate has. So go American Song Contest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mike, just to add one more chaos layer to your suggestion for how to improve this, thinking about how we have been joking about the Mass Singer and Eurovision, that like the, the prize for one of these things should be that they don't unmask, they get sent to Eurovision. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, what, like, whatever season of this is happening, and again, it's, it's a whole cross-network thing, but we're already crossing the streams. It's great. Whoever wins the current season of the American Mass Singer now has to go uh, be American Song Contest to yeah. sort of what is our subwoofer? Yeah, <laughs> and that uh, to some degree that makes what we're describing, or maybe I just have it in my head, is a version of the Food Network show Tournament of Champions, which I've really come to love and adore. And what's interesting about that is it's like a bracketed competition between chefs, but unlike most Food Network shows, they actually acknowledge the existence of other competitions on other networks, primarily Top Chef, and take that as you know, it's like here's a Top Chef winner now up against a Chopped winner, and it's not exactly. Equivalent all the time and i think they could do it more and pull people in like here's a great british bake-off winner and whatever but i like that model and i think it has only helped tournament of champions be better and seem more credible rather than just keeping it as this insular food network only thing which would have made it just another 
same, same kind of show. Eurovision does kind of function in that way. This year in particular, like two thirds of the field was selected by some form of national selection. They have won some sort of competition to get to where they are now. And then for the ones who are internally selected, so many of them are winners from The Voice or have some sort of singing competition background in there. So it's like, it is like a singing tournament of champions. Let's just throw them all together and see what happens. Also, like you had reminded me that many, many years ago at this point, Bravo did a reprise of Battle of the Network reality stars. I can't remember who was on that. And but like that also seems to be the model that we're going toward with like at least on or Paramount and MTV are with the challenge and making these kind of global competitions, which I think to some degree was trying to find contestants, but then has become an interesting way to extend the franchise outside of the United States and also generate interest for their streaming service at the same time. I'm sure that's at least in the calculation. Absolutely. The challenge is always so interesting for me because road rules isn't a thing anymore. Right. Yeah. Like it started as like real world versus road rules. And then all of a sudden they stopped making road rules. Yeah. And for a while they just kind of recycled the same people. And then they did the fresh blood and just brought in people who were random. And then they started bringing people from other MTV shows and then other reality shows and now other countries. So it's like they just need more and more bodies to feed through that machine to try to kill someone, which yeah. I think is the <laughs> ultimate uh, goal. But no success yet. I, I'm currently scrolling through the list of the people who are on Battle of the Network Reality Stars and the shows represented are wild. It's just a great time capsule of where things were at in reality in 2005. You have Survivor. You have American Idol. You have The Apprentice. You have the joe schmo show you have road rules you have the amazing race you have joe millionaire you have the swan (laughs) there was a person from the swan there's a person from showbiz moms and dads oh wow but it's still no excuse for including people from the swan that was just desperate casting i think that was that oh that yeah there's just like there's that specific like 2004 2005 there's a bunch of reality shows that I need to seek out and try and restream somewhere because we were just a lot meaner in terms of reality television then. Early in the pandemic, went through like a whole phase of watching a bunch of America's Next Top Model because it was available on streaming. Realizing in retrospect what we let Tyra Banks do. Yeah, it's 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 amazing how that does not hold up well. By the end of my binging on it, I was just sort of getting to the makeover episode and then just immediately moving to the next season. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I you know maybe in I think. 15 years we'll be looking back at you know say love is blind and saying the same thing like like they just made them uh decide to get married after talking through a wall speaker for three days uh that was pretty screwed up we just pretend it's nice and happy the netflix reality stuff is at the weird fox level right now just the sort of thing that we get that that's getting greenlit over there is weird and it's also i will say just and maybe speaking to the american song contest of it all I think there's a degree to which, and this has always been true, but like ultimately no one in Hollywood knows what's going to work or not. I, I don't know if what constitutes a Netflix hit anymore, like a show people talk about for more than a few days, perhaps before it gets forgotten and the next thing comes up. But like, I am shocked that Is It Cake uh, got any momentum at all. I find it excruciatingly boring. It's a YouTube clip basically turned into a long, long, long episode. But like people were kind of nuts for that. So um, what do I know? I feel like the time between when that was a trend happening on YouTube and Twitter and stuff like that to when this actually became a show, we've moved on like three trends down the road. Yeah, at least. <laughs> yes. Hollywood is definitely behind like that. The American Song Contest has just been weird because it feels like there are so many elements that are working, but together they are not forming 
something coherent or compelling to watch. It's interesting to me because it's a fun two hours. I do want to fast forward through the people that I've heard already and now don't care about, especially now that we've heard all the songs once. But it is also like such a, I guess, forgettable maybe is the right term. Like um, I'm excited to watch it every Monday, but then it's not like the rest of the week, like we mentioned earlier, it's not like there's an engagement in it other than me singing Mr. Independent in my car three times as I drive to the store. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like how we engage with it uh, outside of it. Like I I keep getting served M&M's ads on Twitter and it's just, <laughs> like it's all about the M&M's lounge. And it's just like, what, why, why? Wow. And, yeah, and for a while there, I was getting a lot of Rotel ads because I guess Rotel came up in one of the contestant bios on the show. I don't know. Like, yes, uh, <laughs> yes, cheese dip. Yeah, so, so like that that was just kind of upsetting from a data privacy standpoint. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that this would come back for a second season or is NBC just white knuckling it until the finale? I have become less confident in these kinds of answers in the current television climate we're in right now, which is everyone scratching and clawing for anything. Um, so I would say, no, there's no chance at all of it coming back. But at the same time, like maybe it does better than whatever else they had. And maybe they find a way to do it a little cheaper or shorten it. And, you know, it it is a brand now, both with a connection to Eurovision, obviously, but then something that American audiences might at least remember because it happened once. So I would not expect it to be back next year or next spring. I will guess that NBC will fill that hole with something else. But I also would not be surprised to see it come back in some form. Like, if they had all 56 acts, like, in, like, the American Song Contest Thunderdome or whatever we're calling the venue, like, you could have them filling in the audience. It's not the, like, 60 or so people who must be getting paid to be there every week and make it at least seem like a a fuller event and everybody just sort of supporting each other and maybe building those weird state rivalries or at least some trash talk. There's been so little trash talk this season. Like we're getting like the smallest moments of acts interacting with one another. And like, it's been great when we've seen that work. Cause like part of the great part about Eurovision is seeing all of the acts that have been selected hanging out in the green room together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really appreciated seeing Jewel interact with everyone by grimacing over Zoom uh, in the <laughs> contractually obligated time she was required to sit there and learn that she'd lost. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I love the idea, uh, seriously, that you're pitching. And I just think you, it would also probably cut down on the celebrity aspect because I don't think we've seen any of the celebrities back for the results the next week, right? Am I missing somebody that maybe was actually in the space uh, the next week? Michael Bolton was there. He did I mean, not look happy to be there, but he was there. So. Sure, that was not like a my, car- sure it wasn't my, a cardboard cutout. My theory has been is that they're having everybody hang out and then like taping in everybody. You've been selected. Everybody scream. And then just because like they, they stay at the top of the show every time some portions pre-recorded. Because like I, I cannot believe that they're asking these guys to like be in the studio a second week if they're flying in from someplace else. And that's my guess is that they were just all they're all just in L.A. for the extent of this, except they kind of gave special dispensation for the celebrity, quote unquote, acts to, you know, pop in and out. Right. Yeah. I wonder if they had to tip Michael Bolton off like, no, you need to you need to sit here for for like another hour, Michael, <laughs> because we, we will be announcing your name on air. <laughs> But yeah, Macy Gray was nowhere in the building when Ohio's results were were due that week. Yeah, I think what's what's interesting too is that um and just like to come back to my connection to Tournament of Champions, a show I'm obviously more obsessed with than American Song Contest, but I was surprised to learn how do you schedule a show with 
32 chefs and trying to like you don't know how the bracket's going to work out and the way they do it is just make everyone available for two weeks and so they're just there for two weeks and i think that that speaks to the schedule we were talking about too of making it more of an event you could make sure everyone was around and and getting into that party atmosphere and also getting to know each other and interact and you know I wouldn't go so far as to suggest that we have a dual round, but it might be fun to have like a group number or something once in a while, maybe. I don't know. That might be against the spirit of the show or too idly or voicey, but could work. Yeah. And I will give the show credit. I think it has managed to avoid a lot of the traps of the long form singing competitions. We're not getting the tragic backstories of a lot of these contestants because there just isn't enough time. Like we're only going to see them at most three times uh, over the course of this competition. So we're not going to like learn like what their dog's favorite color is or anything like that. America's Got Talent has become absolutely insufferable. <laughs> the, the, you know, the clip packages take up hours. I genuinely watch reality TV to learn about people and connect with other people and see their experiences. But like the format in which they do that is not entertaining. It just feels manipulative and it's not good. So yeah, I agree. I'm glad they're not doing that. Every time that America's Got Talent pops up in our Google alerts, it's just a nightmare. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Do you all have predictions as to who's going to win based on what we've seen so far or what? I certainly do not, but I'm just curious. So far in just watching the results, which largely is the jury and the jury and I are just on completely different wavelengths for the most part. Hmm. But I I have things that have gotten through that I am rooting for, but I have no trust in their ability to make the final. I thought North Dakota was great, and I would like to see that continue on. I liked Washington. Like of the of the jury picks, uh, I think it is one of the stronger entries. This is another thing I struggle with. By the way, when you say the state names, I'm like, what was that song? Yeah, that's like, who? Yeah, <laughs> who? But yes, like... yes, which is yeah, is is like yeah. There's just no real connection between the states and these performers. And then just from like a chaos perspective, uh, new boot goofing. Let's do it. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> Let's host this in Laramie next year. That will mean this is not a failure, for sure. I am rooting for Oklahoma, because I think that is one of the only acts where I can, where it's just like, okay, Oklahoma, Alexa, Wonderland. I, like, know all three pieces of the puzzle. Whereas, like, if you said Washington, I would not be able to pull Alan Stone's song title, or if you gave me a song title, I wouldn't be able to get the other two components. So uh, I I think that is the metric that I'm working with. Yeah, yeah, because, like, even, even sitting here, I'm like, okay, North Dakota chloe something or other Mm -hmm. can't remember the song title and uh by the way just to mention alexa for a second one one thing just back to the idea about we need to know the rules no shame or shade on her but she is the only person who seems like they're lip syncing and i don't understand why that is if it's production if it's a backing track that's not working and other people have backing tracks that are like it just doesn't seem like her live singing in the same way that other acts do so i don't know what's going on there and i don't know what the rules are either I think part of it may be she's one of the only contestants that's using a headset rather than a microphone. That might be contributing to some audio issues. I think she's benefiting more from a backing track, but I I assume most of those vocals are live. The performance in the semifinals felt the vocals felt much more live than they had that first week. So I'm fully willing to chalk it up to the mix or the backing track being a little bit too high in the mix. Yeah, which again, not her fault, but also just like unclear especially without being one of the first acts we saw that first week sound issues have been consistent throughout the show so i don't know i'm i'm willing to make a lot of excuses because i really do like her but they're definitely singing live i've definitely shouted pitchy at the screen uh several times i don't even know what that word means but i yeah i remember from american <laughs> idol that i'm supposed to yell that so. 
who are you rooting for? Uh, Mr. Independent, of course. Or no, yeah, yeah. I guess that I, I just like because in terms of like a catchy song, I think I wouldn't be sad with New Boot Goofin, the milkshake or not milkshake, the smoothie milkshakes. With that one also seemed weird. I don't think it has a chance at this point, right? I think they got bumped out. Yeah, they they were they were bumped. Yeah, so I, I'm up for something weird or at least catchy. Like that's what I'm hoping for. And naturally, we'll probably get the you know boring white guy on a stool just because America does that. The thing that feels the voiciest to me is Kentucky's song. He is the person who was the winner of The Voice. So that, so that, 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 uh, that tracks. Yeah. <laughs> There's a reason. Andy, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation and giving us a little bit more optimism because we, we had been complaining about this show throughout the season. And I'm, I'm glad that you're enjoying it and that there are good things to pull out of this program. Yeah, absolutely. It's not necessarily one I would recommend over anything else, but there's far worse ways to spend two hours watching TV on any night of the week. And it's I think it's been fun. And I don't know if I'll miss it, but I'm glad to be in it. And I'm I'll be excited to see what happens at mm-hmm. the end, if only to be mad about it. There we go. Yeah, <laughs> like I'm, I'm weirdly invested at this point. Too. I'm like, well, I've made it this far. Yep. <laughs> oh, the sunk cost fallacy. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Yeah, uh, Andy, uh, do you have uh, anything that you'd like to plug or uh, point our listeners to? Sure, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm RealityBlurred. That's R-E-A-L-I-T-Y-B-L-U-R-R-E-D. And that's where I tweet sometimes live about the show, or at least like your all's tweets about the show. I also publish a website called Reality Blurred, where I reviewed American Song Contest and a bunch of other shows that are not singing contests, give recommendations and do analysis and complaining and reporting and other things. So you can find me there. All right. Well, again, thank you so much. Thank you. It was, it was fun to talk about it. And, uh, you know, we'll have to chat again when American Song Contest 2.0 shows up in 2030. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will write it in my calendar now. So. <laughs> yep. Put that in the planner. And that's going to do it for this episode of Just Asking Questions. Thanks for listening and supporting the Year What Podcast. Both shows are hosted by Ben Smith. That's me. And Mike McComb. That's me. Show notes are in the description of this episode and on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Eurowhat. If you'd like to contact us, we're at Eurowhat on Twitter, or you can email Eurowhatpodcast at gmail.com. Next time on the Eurowhat, we'll be asking a different style of questions as we discuss Eurovision in the context of trivia. Be on the lookout for our next episode in two weeks.